coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio. It's Franchise Marketing Radio, brought to you by IDS, an award-winning digital marketing agency that delivers integrated marketing solutions for franchisers, franchisees, and franchise development teams. Learn why over 75 brands depend on IDS's team of dedicated marketers and client service professionals to deliver a strong ROI on their marketing investment. Go to IDSFranchiseMarketing.com for a complimentary digital audit and consultation. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Rob Ganley. Welcome back to Franchise Marketing Radio, the show where we explore the intersections of franchising, marketing, and technology. I want to welcome to our show today, Aaron Tosh. He's the co-founder and president of Garage Living. And I'm looking forward to really breaking down the business model and learning more. But welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Rob. You got it. You got it. So let's dive right in. Let's first like get our feet underneath us and learn a little bit about the brand. Tell me a little bit about how it came about and how you sort of, what's unique and how you serve folks. Sure. So we started our business in 2005 and that was at a time when HGTV, DIY, home improvement was a rapidly growing trend and definitely a very hot category. The garage has always been an area that's underserviced, often forgotten and underutilized. And there was a lot of attention being paid to the space uh, at that time. And, And we really felt that there was a void in the market in terms of organizations that work directly with homeowners to maximize the space, improve it, you know, extend the lifestyle of the home. And so we we began serving clients in, in our local market and spent about 10 years doing that, refining our business model. And when it came time to determine how we were going to grow geographically, I was myself and my partners were excited about exploring the franchise model in order to uh, expand our footprint and uh, plant a bunch of flags in a number of cities across North America. And over the last eight, nine years, we've grown to uh, over 50 franchise territories. So we're excited about it. And um, we we definitely have a lot of runway left. So we expect to continue to grow at a, a fast rate. That's, you know, like I told you before the show got started, I was spending some time on your website and reading through it and thinking, there's a lot that could be done with a garage. And as a guy, I'm like, yeah, I need to do more. It's like the way you framed it as being sort of that forgotten place. It, it sort of is. But if you use it right, it could be a, a whole new cool place. But there's some other things that you'll get into later about that's unique that I think you bring to people's attention about garage space and how to use it and get the most out of it. But let's let's talk a little bit about the DNA of franchising. Like you mentioned what I think is the great American dream, right? I think franchising kind of is is the business model that lends itself to that idea because you, there you were in 2005 and your partners and, and you're thinking, I got a really cool business here. It works great. People love it. How do we like make it big? You know, go natural, right? And then you start figuring that out and then you find out about franchising. And I, I work on that side sometimes. I'm not that's not my core side of what I do as a consultant, but I do work with emerging entrepreneurs. And I love that because these guys are like, they just create something out of desire or a need or, you know, and it's like, it was working good. It's like, yeah, you know, I think we should expand, but you almost have to help the franchisor learn that process. Right. 
In other words, help you guys learn that not everybody's like you. And if you bring people in as a franchisee, it's a little bit different because you have to afford them an opportunity that maybe they couldn't have done what you did in creating it, but they could certainly be successful running it. So there's that little bit of that. So tell me when you guys made that decision, tell me a little bit about how you evolved early on and uh, how that translated into the opportunity and, and making it the opportunity it is now where it's just a proven model. Yeah. And you raised a, a number of great points that I think a lot of people have to learn by doing in order to understand what it's like to transition from just a business owner. Uh, you can be a successful business owner into a franchisor because it's a completely different business and it's a completely different responsibility. Um, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of times if you're making that transition and you are finding your initial franchisees, they're putting a lot of faith in you to work through all of the challenges that uh, come with building infrastructure that doesn't exist until you have the need for it uh, as, as a franchise brand. And so those early franchisees really get not only a ton of time and attention from you, but also uh, they have to be patient as you really scale your organization. And that's something that, that doesn't happen instantly. Uh, it takes time. Uh, you have to invest in systems and people and processes and inventory and in, in, depending on your business model. And once those things all come together, uh, it makes for a really amazing um, machine that effectively supports uh, franchisees uh, at scale, not only those those individual um, you know early adopters, but but many. And it allows uh, all of our franchisees to grow their business, um, increase their efficiency in, in a much faster pace than they would have as an independent or just an owner operator of, of a, a local business. So yeah. it, it really is about um, learning what we needed to do as an organization. Um, we knew how to support our local business. That, that wasn't you know, a major challenge, but right. supporting a business remotely supporting a business in a different market that we had to learn, um, you know, supporting other uh, other franchise partners with their teams. It's it's an extension that's quite unique. So we went through a, a, a learning process in and of itself to really transform from just that one local business, which is now our corporate franchise, into an organization that is defined by how we support our, our franchise partners and, and how successful they are. So it really is a challenge and it's really something you have to understand because you can't continue to operate as a local business when so many people are depending on you for support that has nothing to do with, with the corporate operation. Right, right. It's a very different, and I like that you said responsibility too. Um, it's a very different, but rewarding, extremely rewarding. Uh, I would, I've never been a franchisor. I've worked very closely with guys like you, but I think it's very rewarding from what I have seen and, and, and can gather to be able to help someone else get into business and become successful. But it also requires what you said, patience and coaching and learning how best to communicate with others and learning how to recruit the best people to be part of your brand and being the visionaries that you guys are. Um, it's, it's different than just running the business and you were running the business and you were really good at it probably because of some of your background, right? Like some of the guys I meet, 
that are franchisors many times do come from military backgrounds or backgrounds where they learn some really good skills and were then able to run a really good business. And then, then that question comes, how do we blow it up? How do we go national? Then you learn that it's different when you recruit franchisees, but still a big responsibility to see them flourish in their markets, their communities, their families, all of that. That's what I, I could go on and on about the American dream of franchising, but it's, it's, it is also hard. It's part of business, right? So we'll get into that a little bit about how you guys compete in, in local markets and who you're competing with and how that compares. But as I said, it's not the same thing when you're part of a franchise brand. So, so let me ask you, um, I had, I had had the uh, opportunity just to hear about a couple of your franchisees. Um, one gentleman is Mike Greco and another Benton McDonald. And they're, uh, they're both fr- from the military, but also Marines. And I wanted to talk to you about your perspective, both on, on how you recruit and also on veterans. I know we're just a little past Veterans Day uh, this year, but uh, you know, always like to connect uh, you know, business ownership with certain skill sets, right? And I do know the military is, is certainly a good place potentially, but tell me more about that and tell me what's going on with uh, helping veterans start businesses. I, I thought I read somewhere that that trend is going down, less veterans are starting businesses. So you know, tell me a little bit about your your feeling on that and, and how the brand feels about, about veterans and, and recruiting veterans. Sure, absolutely. So I didn't serve myself in any military, so um, I don't have that experience. But I think that there are a lot of similarities between um, uh, service members and successful business owners, and also the skill set that uh, makes someone ideal uh, for either a franchise organization or or small business. And I think it becomes, it, it's really about the systems and processes and following uh, systems and being very organized and uh, methodical in how they do things. And really that, you know, the military as from what I've read and and heard is, is about that kind of structure. Um, it's yeah. about discipline. It's about systems. It's about processes it's about following directions and and executing on plans and people with that mindset that you know they have a plan they've um articulated it uh very well it's mapped out and then they go about executing that plan um down to the 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 small details um Mm. you know make make very successful business people and it, it goes beyond that it's also you know you may have the best plan in the world but as I can imagine, um, you know, during wartime or conflicts, um, those plans have to adjust and you have to be able to think on your feet and uh, find alternative routes to that end goal, it, despite, you know, the best plan that you've laid out. So mm. the ability to be somewhat flexible, even in a rigid environment is, is critical. And we've mm-hmm. seen, you know, some veterans that have been fantastic that way, that are great problem solvers, that um, they can think strategically and execute, you know, the best plans, but they can also deal with the the challenges and the adversity when they're faced with it. And they don't become overwhelmed by an enormous hurdle that's put in front of them. They just think about it as, how do I clear this and get to my goal uh, despite this obstacle? Yeah, you know, striving for yeah. I was as you were talking, I was thinking the simplicity of strategy. Like, maybe could you share a little bit on that? Like, you know, as a business, 
there are some key things that you just always have to keep in mind, right? I mean, serving your client, making customer satisfaction would be an example, right? But you have systems and processes and sometimes, some days, some months, they just don't like COVID. <laughs> like, let's just throw COVID out there. It kind of threw a monkey in a lot of people's uh, plans. But, but you know, ultimately how you react to that. So is there like, you know, every brand sort of has a culture, a vision, um, sort of, the ideas that drive it. Is there something like that with you guys where absolutely you know, yeah we have you uh, fall back on it when you're, yeah, when you're we have a mission, out, like... a vision and a purpose and then yeah. pillars that we sort of have created in order to really define our culture. And there, you know, that's everything from passion and integrity and performance. And the things that I would say we fall back on when when the plan gets thrown out the window are some of those things. So so integrity is a huge part of that. Um, and that is not just within your organization, but it's it it's really all about you know servicing your customer. You're not going to satisfy someone 100% of the time. There are going to be times when you have to disappoint something be, someone because things happen that are out of your control. But if you approach the situation with integrity and you say, "Listen, I wanted to let you know that I'm facing this challenge. This is what I this is my plan to fix it." And here's what we're going to do to make sure that you're happy. Um, we rarely have clients that are upset about that. It's when someone, you know, and, you know, I, I can, I hope that this doesn't happen at all or very often within our organization, but it's when someone sort of doesn't address the issue, pretends that it doesn't exist, and then has to apologize for uh, someone not being satisfied at the end. So, you know, having integrity, being able to communicate life does not go as planned uh, most of the time. And we've often said, especially during training, that if you're in a business like, like construction, where you have a client that expects things to go smoothly 100% of the time, they're likely going to be disappointed. And if that's their expectation, they you know you really have to make clear that we can't guarantee that. What we can guarantee is that we're going to make sure that you're happy. And when there is an issue, we're going to be upfront and honest about it and explain to you exactly how we're going to address it. And when you take that approach and when you bring that into your culture as, as a key pillar, uh, it really prevents a lot of those things from happening. And it's not just with our external partners like our, our clients, but it's with our with our own team members as well. So, you know, everybody gets sick, everybody has individual needs within their families. And if an employee has something that comes up that impacts um, the business operation, if they're honest about it and, and you know, come to their, their, their manager and say, listen, I have this issue and this is what I need to do to, to deal with it. Great. Now we can make some other decisions that will allow us to accommodate you. So we work hard to communicate those pillars and our purpose, vision, and mission um, through our entire organization and even to our clients so that they really understand the type of organization they're dealing with. And when you have everybody on the same page in terms of how you expect to be treated and what your experience is, is expected to be, we have far fewer challenges. Yeah. I, I, uh, I spent a lot of years in sales and, and in marketing and different, you know, different growth areas of business. And um, a lot of a lot of my years as you know in sales, I was successful. I was quite successful in different different uh, roles. 
and I was asked sometimes, and I thought about a lot, why am I successful? Like, I mean, other than, you know, hard work and, you know, maybe you, you hone your skills, but really what I always felt was that if I could do what you're saying, if I could be consistent, if I could follow through, if I could do what I said I was going to do, it wasn't about being perfect. It was about being trusted and following through and getting it done. So like that is something I think is often lacking in a lot of local business models, right? Because again, I said earlier in the show that it's quite difficult to launch a business on your own and, and a great honor to really be part of a brand that, that you know, guys like yourself started way back in the very beginning of the very first business idea that you had, right? <laughs> Before you even launched the very first one. So a lot of effort went into perfecting it. And that's a great opportunity to be a part of, to, to be successful. But the other benefit is because you're part of a brand and a culture, everybody acts in a similar in a similar way. And when customers see that and feel that, it's like something you can't convey. It's just happening you know, sort of underneath. And it's just like, I don't know why I trust that guy, but I'll, I'll give him, you know, I'm not mad. I'm going to. I'm going to go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt. And you're not always sure why that is, but I think it's that consistency they see in the in the business and, the, and everybody that's interacting with them and just doing the common sense stuff that we would all appreciate if we were on the other side. And I think, and I often hear from service, home service providers that are brands that, and I wanted to ask you this now is, you know, tell me about your competition. Tell me, I know home improvement. I like that you're a specialist, right? Tell me about, how you compete in the marketplaces that you're in, what do you normally see? Do you see competitors that do a lot of things and some of them do garages? Do you see other specialties that they focus that? I know there might be other franchise brands even, but tell me a little bit about the competitive landscape that you find yourself in and really what differentiates you. Sure. Uh, I love answering this question because it's really what defines our business and defines us as an organization. So the way the way that we position our business is that we're not um, uh, a, an organization that's simply just selling products and services. Uh, that's not who we are. We we offer a a lifestyle, um, and so what we are working with clients on is an opportunity to really explore what your space can become and what opportunities it has, and what you envision. Uh, the space to be once we're done working with you. Um, so in the marketplace, as it relates to competition, there are a lot of service providers that literally are coming in and selling you products and services to either organize your space or clean up or store things better. Um, and it's very products and service focused. What we do is very much lifestyle focused. So we want to understand how do you plan on using the space? You know, do you have a busy family? Do you, are, are you into, you know, particular activities? Uh, do you want it to be a, a space that you're going to host people? We really want to understand what you need. So uh, when we, when we approach our opportunities, our leads, our clients, it's very much um, a consultative selling. And so we don't call our, our, our salespeople salespeople. They're actually design consultants. And that's the approach we take. We go in and we really um, consult them on what the design uh, they need is in order to achieve that vision or in order to extend the lifestyle from within out. And then, you know, when we look at uh, competitors, whether they're other franchise brands or independents, it's very much about the products and services and, you know, creating a space that oftentimes is sort of man cave 
focused and, you know, very masculine. And we really try and set ourselves apart from that by saying, you know what, we are just simply an organization that focuses on transforming the space into one that is often dusty and dirty and uh, overlooked and full of clutter into one that is an extension of your home and your lifestyle. And that approach really sets us apart. And it starts from our marketing um, and how uh, we're perceived uh, in in just everything that we do to to reach our target market, right through to the process of, you know, a call or an email that comes in requesting more information or an opportunity to meet with one of our design consultants through to the process of design and 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 the quoting of of what a project looks like right through to the installation. So we do set ourselves apart that way. Um, and then when the products and services come into play, as it relates to building a, a project out, we have exclusive products that are higher quality than, than what you'd see in the marketplace. Um, you know, things that, that we've either designed or developed or, or things that we've sourced exclusively. And, and so our, our projects typically look quite unique because they're not things that, that the entire market has to offer. And so at, in terms of what the, the competitive landscape looks like, there are other companies that are in our space that focus on the space like we do. I think that we do it differently. Um, oftentimes, you know, they will use um, other products that are that are used in closets or kitchens to, to create the same um, type of solutions that we do. Um, and then there are those companies in the closet and kitchen space that try and extend their product offering into the garage. So you see some of those companies compete in, in our space for, for that work as well. Yeah. No, but I, I got to say it hit me differently when I saw that on your site about using the space in a unique way, more creatively, because the first thing I think of is exactly what you said, more, more cabinets, more organization, maybe take care of the floor, but that's really it. Not really thinking beyond that, just, just better use of space. But when you think about it, it's it's a room you're you're probably underutilizing and and there's just a lot of impact to our lifestyles. I was just thinking like pulling out of my garage in the morning and seeing a mural of something I love, right? And like all the time. And when I pull in, I see it again. Like the little thing like that might be something you guys suggest because you know you're a sports fan and you have a picture of, you know, maybe you're maybe you like Tom Brady and there's there it is, a painting of him. But I mean, I, I I just I just think there could be a lot more to be gained. <laughs> so I like that approach. At the end of the day, you're remodeling garages, but you're doing it in a very unique way. So let me let me ask you this. Let's let's break down the business side of it a little bit, just for those that are listening and wondering, you know, what does this look like if I'm a business owner? What is the potential? Um so walk me through what success looks like. You you have 50 I think operating uh, locations and quite a few owners that go into that. I'm sure you have some multi-unit owners in other words, but tell me what this success look like and where would you like to see it go? In other words, how many clients do I have? Um, is it big territory is, you know, I'm sure you're focused on certain areas of town and neighborhoods, but tell me what this looks like as a business. Is there set up, is there one-time fees, residual fees, um, how does it work that way? How does success, you know, if I look a few years down the road, what do I look like if I'm successful? Absolutely. So we go back to when we started and how we've built our local business and our, fran our corporate franchise. And we cover an entire metro area. 
So we have one uh, physical showroom and design consultants that will service the entire metropolitan area. And it's a fairly large geographic space. That's allowed us to grow our business in, into you know many millions of dollars uh, in volume because you know we have the footprint and we have the runway to reach clients in in all areas. So when we started to franchise and and determine what territories look like, we wanted to make sure that our franchise owners could build a decent sized business um, without tripping over someone in an adjacent territory or without having too few clients to really um, grow their business and, and develop the repeat and referral in the next town over or the next county over. So for us as an organization, we've we've uh, carved up the, the map, so to speak, um, to allow for large territories. And that's, that's unique um, within home services. Oftentimes there are many um, individual territories within a large metropolitan area. Uh, but because we focus on a target market that uh, typically is um, has much higher disposable income, let, I mean, we can be honest about the fact that the garage is not um, the top priority when it comes to home improvement. Um, you know, it, it you're not going to, you know, complete a garage project before you get your roof done. Um, if that's what's needed, or replace a furnace or air conditioning unit. Um, there are some key priorities there. So as a result, people that are, are interested in focusing on this space are not making the decision between doing that or this. As a result, there's a smaller market that we need more geography in order to reach more people. So success from the franchisees end is obviously, you know, we, when we go through a business planning um uh, exercise. Actually, we're we're completing that right now for the uh, 2024. It, it's financial. Obviously, we're looking at the key metrics that are going to result in financial success for for each of our franchise partners, and that looks like profitability, and it looks like growth, um, and it looks like things like closing ratio, and and all the metrics that you'd want to see uh, on an operating level. But it also is about lifestyle. Um, you know, uh, our franchise partners need to be clear with us and, and put it in their plan as to, you know, how much time they want to spend on a specific activity. You know, are they working five days a week? Are they working seven days a week? Have they built the business to a point where they can bring in um, some additional staff to offset some of the responsibilities? So success looks different for everybody. Some people, uh, we have franchisees that literally keep their their teams very, very small and lean, and they take on a lot of the responsibility from the majority of, of the uh, sales, from the design consultations and the administration so that they really have, they can put as much money on the bottom line as possible. And then there's other people that want to grow their business and uh, delegate those responsibilities and still be very profitable, but they need to grow the volume significantly in order to do that because you have greater overhead. So it's not, I don't think success can be defined by any one single metric. Um, obviously, you know, in business, profitability is, is sort of the scoreboard, um, but it is definitely also lifestyle and how you know, big they wanna be, um, what they wanna do within their communities, and, you know, what they're looking to do, as we know, you know, um, in, in the franchise world, um, people look to sell their business eventually. So they're not just creating value by, um, 
generating profits and and withdrawing that from the organization. They're creating an entity that has intrinsic value to someone that they may sell to down the road. And so that is also really important and something we consider in terms of what that looks like from year to year. And so it is, um, you know, if you're starting out, uh, a, a business looks like, you know, my uh, one person and a crew of two. And in a year's time or two years time, that can be a staff of five or six. And then, you know, as they scale the business, it can be multiple vehicles, multiple design consultants, um, a showroom, uh, all of the oh, the showroom is part of the initial step, but uh, the showroom that that is then utilized much more and a brand that becomes well known within the local market. And that's, you know, one of the signs of success and when you know we're recognized as the leader in our in our space yeah that's awesome i mean just the and i'll just go on talk a little bit of what you said there in the sense that you know people will miss the point of having the insight and the coaching and the support to build the right kind of business as you're building and and long term so if you don't have that if you don't have that going into your business sometimes you make mistakes that last years right it could cost everything and this is for the successful guys this is for the ones that get there right it's like they get there and they say well i didn't really want this kind of business or it wasn't quite what i thought um but they worked hard and they got there so i think having being part of a franchise brand you can really reflect you know whether it's quarter over quarter year over year on on how you're doing against what you really want to achieve for you right but it sounds like the sky's kind of the limit because you can scale a territory quite a bit, but then you can up, you know buy additional territories if you you know you have that op- opportunity. Which I think for most it gives them that that ability to if they're that person that wants to 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 really be successful. Let's say, and I shouldn't use the word successful. I should say if you're the kind of person that wants to have a bigger reach or bigger customers or more revenue, there's that opportunity for you. And if you're the kind that would say. I like the four day work week and I have my happy customers and, and everything is good. I make great money. That's I mean, that one's for you. I, I think it's hard to do that in any other type of situation other than a franchise one because yeah. of the support that's offered. I would agree. And I, I, it's not just the support, but it's, it's also the other set of eyes. Um, so when you're in a business uh, and you're an op, you're an operator and an owner, you don't necessarily have the ability to take the step back and see yourself from from the outside. And so being part of a franchise organization not only allows the franchisor to have a, an outside view of your looking in of your business, but it also allows you to really reflect on your business as it relates to your peers. So, you know, you talked about, you know, evaluations quarterly. So we publish a scorecard quarterly uh, for our franchise partners that that show the performance, basically um, a, a P&L by percentage uh, of, of their peers. And so that they can see, you know, how are people doing things? How What's their labor rate? What do their cost of goods look like? Uh, what's their overhead look like? But it, it's only it's only valuable when they put it into the context of that business and how that business is made up. So, like I said, you can have a wildly profitable business in in one column um, with a s- strong bottom line, but the owner operator is doing everything within that business, and labor is extremely low, and 
as a result, he's creating that person is creating their own bottleneck or, or they're or limiting their, their capacity because they're not bringing on individuals to help them scale. So we, you know, in addition to that scorecard, you know, where we're very clear about, you know, how many staff they have, what the role of the owner operator is, uh, how many design consultants they have, how many trucks they have on the road to give people that context of what size of the business is and what, what the complexity of the business is. And, you know, we often will reflect on that with our franchise partners, especially when it comes to planning so that they understand, well, are you the limiting factor to growing this business? And if so, like, do you understand that? And are you content with that? Because, you know, there's growth, um, which which is great. Always the top line is great. And as a franchisor, we always want uh, strong top line growth. That's how we we generate our revenues. But it only is is good for everyone. And it's only a win win if you're if you're delivering dollars to the bottom line as well. Um, because, you you know, unprofitable franchise partners are short term partners. And so to have long-term partners with long-term success, everybody has to be profitable. So we talk a lot about that and we're very transparent about that. And, and that's not only within the organization, but with other, you know, other outside factors as well. And really understanding what people are trying to do, what success looks like to them and what the opportunity looks like. Well, you know, at the same time, I don't want to, you know, understate the fact that we want to maximize the markets that we're in. Uh, so we want, we want there to be growth and we want there to be certain size uh, benchmarks, but you know, that people are motivated by different things and, and we take that into account and, and work with everybody on an individual basis. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, uh, like I said, franchising in and of itself is such a unique opportunity. Like when you talk about being able to understand what your peers are doing, there are mastermind groups or franchises. That, that do this. Uh, they provide, you know, insight or groups for CEOs to be a part of or business owners and to learn from each other. And that's, that's actually another kind of franchise that, that someone could run. But my point being is those services are not, not inexpensive. <laughs> like, and so if you're in a brand, you kind of, it's kind of built in, like you have that peer support and, and that insight of what others are doing. And, and I love that you, you share those financials, um, and and help people understand what you can derive from that kind of information and move forward with it. So that's that again is not something you can get to outside of franchising. Um, let me just jump into a marketing question because I, I love marketing. Um, and I know a lot of people think of this when they get started in a business. So uh, you know, and I, I probably know some of the answer to your to your your brand, but I'd like to hear when you first get started, tell me a little bit about that launch process. And a little bit about how marketing and sales plays a role in growing that that business, both initially and ongoing. Sure. So unlike a independent small business, uh, when you join our organization, or I would I would guess most franchise organizations, that marketing machine's already built. So it's literally about customizing a few things and uh, tailoring it to the market and then flipping the switch. That has become even more true with the uh, focus on digital media. And so we can work on a lot of local, local marketing initiatives that may be within the first three to six months, but the digital marketing machine is turned on immediately. 
And once that's turned on, it can be even before a showroom's built out or all of the equipment's in place to execute on the projects, uh, that generates opportunities immediately. And so having that uh, resource ready to go the moment that you get started is critical. And it means that there's a far shorter delay in investing in a new business and starting and when you're starting to generate cash flow. Yeah. And that, that's yeah, what's really, it's, it, it, it's the speed at which you can do that and which you can turn on that machine that allows people to really get momentum quickly. And so, you know, we've, we've refined that machine over time. Um, but again, having the digital assets, um, the digital uh, support and infrastructure to do that makes it very easy for our franchise partners to get started quickly so that they are not um, sit, sitting and waiting by the phone and burning cash while, um, you know, they're waiting for opportunities to come their way. Right, right. As, as a sales and marketing guy, I really love business models that give you all the angles. And some are built a certain way and, and you know, is, is what it is. But when you talk about home services and in and something specialized like you guys, uh, digital works great for that, especially things like Google, where people are looking for specific things and you can marry that up and, and uh, bring that through a process and deliver a lead to uh, an owner or uh, one of his, one of his team members. And for most people, they don't quite know how to do that. Like, you know, technology, you know, all this digital marketing related technology isn't something that people focus on unless they do. So when you come into a business to have that built for you as a systematic a system is extremely valuable. And, and that exists for you guys. I can, I can, I can envision, but then and you can confirm or add to this, but I, you know, as I hear from many people in your kind of a business, it's really about the community, right? I mean, you start doing work for one homeowner. Of course, there's that viral effect inside the neighborhood, right? Which works great to your favor. And and then, of course, there's ways that you can partner with so many people that serve homeowners. There's that element of the of, of you know generating business. So to have both sides, we have one automated system that's bringing you business and the other is building you that ongoing um, uh, business that doesn't cost as much. So the acquisition cost of your new clients is less. And overall that spells more revenue and more bottom line profit. So that's key. And I wanted to unpack that because not every brand can offer that. Not every model will offer that, but home services and certainly a specialty like you would. But I, do you agree with that? I mean, I would think once people get going, that's that's the thing, right? The partners, the, the viral effect, right? The referrals. Things yeah, like absolutely. So that there are short, medium, and long-term activities that you really have to put together into a, a successful plan. I'll touch on a on you know a couple of things that may be unique to our business, and that we have a few marketing challenges as we get started in any market or as a whole. Um, the first is category awareness. So the garage space is still not on many people's radar. So they don't know that there are organizations like ours that uh, completely transform spaces uh, like the garage, or they don't know that these are possibilities. So we have a category awareness challenge that we work hard to address. That's the first thing. 
And then as we're getting started, we have a brand awareness challenge that not only are we teaching people that or educating people that they can use this space in a, in a way they didn't envision or didn't know about, but there's an organization that works with you to make that happen. So when we bring those two things together, um, we generate opportunities, but you're a hundred percent right. So you can flip a switch and get things started. And, and when we, when we sit down to determine how that all works, it's very methodical. We have a business plan that determines, okay, based on the market size and based on the rest of our system, this is what your average order is look, going to look like within a range. This is what your approximate lead generation cost is going to be. This is what your closing ratio is going to be. This is what your quali qualification ratio is going to be. And when you take all those factors into play, we can figure out what is the revenue target. But in fact, we set the revenue target and then work backwards in order to achieve it using all those metrics. And mm -hmm. it's just like you said, when you unpack that and you start to look at it, you know, in the beginning, you're going to spend a lot more on lead acquisition, um, whether it's digital or uh, direct mail or magazines or um, a whole bunch of different ways that home services focus. But as time goes on, that's going to go down because the cost of a referral, the direct cost of a referral, other than satisfying a client and, uh, you know, creating a raving fan um, is very inexpensive. Uh, the cost of, you know, our trucks being uh, branded, you know, beyond the initial fee is inexpensive to generate an opportunity. So, yes, we focus on that and we even plan that into our model to understand, okay, these are how many opportunities we need to generate from those different buckets in order to bring our costs down over time. And so it, it can't just be, okay, let's go and throw some money here and throw some money there and see what sticks. It's very much, okay, we know this works. We know what the average is across this area. This is how we're going to plan for it. And then we go and execute on that. But you're very much, you're very correct in, in what you said in terms of, you know, we're before we sort of get into the community and 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 really work a lot of grassroots thing, we just need to get the ball rolling. And uh when you join an organization with everything in place that you know allows you to set up a site and set up campaigns and um you know set up promotions right away, it, it kickstarts things and and you can get moving really quickly. Well, I loved your answer. Um, tells me you have some good marketers on your team, maybe yourself, uh, having that background too. But when you say brand awareness, the solution match, understanding that to me, you have the right answers for those. And as long as you're aware when you're marketing, I, you know, that's the beauty. Like, you know, you, you, you may have not heard of the brand. Once I explain who we are, then it's like, wow, you're a big player. You're nationwide. You have, you know, and it's a different sort of answer, but you got to be prepared to market that way and communicate that way for the benefit of your audience to, so they understand. And I can understand what you said earlier too about we do things differently. So they almost have to, we have to get their creative juices going. But again, that goes into the messaging and knowing your ROI, knowing what you need to do uh, to see that uh, proper campaign working. I mean, having that type of support, the way you're talking to me is is tremendous. So I would just share that with the audience because I know you know what it's going to take. As you said, though, every market's going to be a little different and you got to learn how to pivot and adjust. And I'll throw that word in. Um, but, you know, you clearly know that that these are the key points that make a success. And uh, and that's key. So before I let you go, and I know I've taken some of your time, I want to respect uh, the, your, your time and I uh, loved having you here. But before I do let you go, I wanted to ask you, 
is there any, you know, any advice? Um, and you could frame this to someone who might be sitting on the fence wondering, you know, should I move on? Should I do something different with my life? Maybe they're in the corporate world. Uh, maybe they're, you know, some other situation, but they're thinking, what, what do I do next? Do you have any advice for anyone that's looking to start a business or maybe for another business owner like yourselves that when you started your franchise in 2005, maybe advice to another, another owner like that, but anything you want to leave with the audience before we go? Yeah, sure. So if you're looking for a business opportunity, that's not solely an investment. You're not looking to park money and be a passive owner um, and really have a pass. If you're looking to be an active owner operator in a business, make sure you're passionate about whatever you're getting involved with. If you're not, and you know, if you're not passionate about cleaning windows or passionate about cleaning houses or passionate about passionate about um, serving great food or customer service, it's going to be a challenge day in and day out. And it makes every problem that you face that much worse. When you're passionate about something, um, it could be garage spaces, it could be cars, it could be it could be food. Um, and you're involved with it every day. That passion allows you to overcome whatever hurdles you face. And yeah, there are good days and there are bad days. But because you enjoy what you're doing, there are so many more great days than there are challenging ones. And that's what allows people uh, to persevere through anything. Um, and it's not work. It's not going to be, it may be hard and it may be uh, long hours and it may be exhausting, but you're going to be enjoying yourself. And when you're not, that's when you start to question, well, you know, is this really what I want to be doing with my life? And so I would really cause, you know, I really caution people to take that time to investigate something and say, am I going to enjoy doing this? Am I going to enjoy doing both the activities, but also just, you know, what I'm surrounded in? And what we find specifically is that, you know, people that love interacting with other people and, and seeing projects, you know, from start to finish and seeing that transformation and hearing about customers who are thrilled with the overall overall uh, project once it's completed and then moving on to the next one. When, when they're passionate about the space, whether it's the cars, real estate, all of the elements of our business, they're the most successful. And again, it allows them to overcome any uh, challenge that's that they may face at any given point. So I would I would leave you know it's it's easy said you know passion yeah. follows success, but when you're looking at businesses and again there are thousands of different franchise models out there, if you're going to be involved with it day in and day out, you better love what you're doing. Otherwise, it's going to feel like uh, an uphill battle all the way. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and I, I think that that's, um, I mean, the idea that I, I love what you said about starting and finishing projects, right? And then people being pleased with the result. I think that can be played out in a lot of businesses and a lot of models, but that really is important that you care about that, right? You care about the impact you're making on people. They care about it. That's part of why they talk about it and share it with others. Um, but that to me is where, that's why you get up every day. Right, the money should the money will follow, right? Um, and you really just—I mean, to me, it just becomes an extension of what you want to be about, right? What you want to to how you want to make an impact in the world. But 
That is true. Take the time. Don't jump in. It's not a, just about money. I'm sure a lot of us older folks know that uh, after we've made some or been and done things we didn't like and, and realize, you know, I, I'd rather just enjoy what I do um, more than anything. So that's beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that with the audience. And I do appreciate your time today. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, Aaron. Thanks very much, Rob. It's been a pleasure dealing with you. You got it. You got it. I just want to thank my audience and encourage you to reach out uh, to uh, to Aaron and his team at Garage Living. Aaron, do you want to leave uh, the best way to do that, the best uh, website or where yeah, you can visit? Absolutely. The quickest way, easiest way to find us is uh, garageliving.com. You can find all of our individual locations. You can send a general email in if you're looking for something specific or if you want to reach out to your local market. All of our locations are listed there and uh, you can get in touch with someone directly. So garageliving.com is, is the easiest and fastest way to get in touch with us. Appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and bye for now.